Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome to another podcast of Loving the Christ Life. The response to these great conferences that Warren has done around the world has just really been amazing. Just like these conferences, they were absolutely amazing. Today, we're going back to one that he did in South Africa. This will be part number five of the Excellency of the Knowledge of Christ. It's powerful. Here's Warren. Take your Bible, if you will and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Our theme during this conference is the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. The excellent knowledge. There is a knowledge that makes a lot of difference. The Apostle Paul, after he had his many revelations given to him by Christ, centered the whole of his message in the mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and part of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he outlines the importance of wisdom. And it sort of sums up like this, that a born-again Christian has an entirely different wisdom. It is not the wisdom of the world. It is not the wisdom of religion. It is a Christ thing. Christ has been made unto us wisdom. Now there's a great difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is knowing about a lot of things. Wisdom is what to do with them, what to do about them. And so in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, Paul goes into this area of wisdom, and you need to study that thoroughly if you really want to know why we say and do certain things we do in Christianity. The wisdom of Christ has never entered religion because religion cannot produce what it must produce from the wisdom of Christ. It can only produce what it wants by man-made religion, man-made knowledge, man-made wisdom. Most of us have been raised in that. That's what the gospel was to us before Christ was revealed to us as our life. But that wisdom of man never touches the wisdom of Christ. And you can live a lifetime in the wrong wisdom, knowing what to do and what not to do. But the knowledge must come first. Wisdom can only flow out of knowledge. If we don't know what the Scriptures say, if we don't know what God is doing, in the, in the Word, in the, in the Scriptures. Not what God's doing through some person or a man or a religion or a, a denomination or some doctrine. All of that falls unimportant when we begin to learn the knowledge of the Lord. So when Paul had his many revelations, there were two things that stuck out to him. One of them was wisdom and the other was knowledge. If you were to go through his epistles and separate all of the knowledge statements where he uses such terms as knowledge, wisdom, understanding, revelation, if you were to separate all these terms, you would see that they were basic in whatever subject he was on. 
that to know Christ, there must be a change in your knowledge, your understanding, and your wisdom. You can live a lifetime as a Christian and still go to heaven without that knowledge, but your life on earth will never fit the body that God has placed you in. And the greatest struggle that humanity has is trying to fit this Christ in this person. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ as presented by Paul, which I call the final gospel, is very elaborate on the subject of knowledge and wisdom. The mind becomes the centerpiece, the governor. Your mind is what governs whether you be spiritual or soulish. One of the most enlightening scriptures in the whole of Paul's writings is found in Ephesians or in Hebrews. If Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You need to mark it. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I am a firm believer that whatever questions you have concerning your life and the things of the Lord are answered in the Scriptures. The reason why people often come to me and say, well, you answered this question, two reasons. One reason is they can't find the answer in the Scripture. The other is they're too lazy to find it. But the simple facts are the Bible interprets itself. Somebody says, well, I don't understand this. Read on in the Scripture. There will be an answer. Because the Bible answers every question it could possibly bring up. But this is especially so with the Apostle Paul. And that's why we encourage you when you begin to walk in the Spirit and walk as God intended we walk, that you concentrate on what Paul has to say. This is a very loaded verse, this 12th verse in Hebrews 4. It says many things. But I'd like to concentrate on the fact that the Scriptures are like a sword and that the purpose of the Scriptures is to separate and to divide soul and spirit. This brings us back to the tripartite man. He's made up of body, soul, and spirit. But let's just talk about the soul and the spirit. In the human being, we have a feeling that our whole being ought to coordinate together. We'd like to think that that's the way it is. Medicine would like to do that. It coordinates your mentality with your physical body and with your soulish part. When I first started preaching as a kid preacher, didn't know anything, 
But I thought I was real smart in saying that God works on the total man. That he's always interested in his body, soul, and spirit. And uh, consequently, what became predominant in that at that time, on the basis of what little knowledge I had, was divine healing. That uh, God wants to heal everybody. God said he'd heal everybody. It is God's will to heal everybody. I went through that period in my life. Uh, it is a sad period because it don't work quite like you say it. I'd like to think that God would heal everybody, make everybody well, but it doesn't happen like that. But he is a healer, and he can heal. You want to always keep that in your mind regardless. In fact, he's the only healer. He uses doctors. He uses many other things, but God is the only healer there is. But you get concentrated on some part of the human being and still don't know who you are. How does anybody know who they are? They only know who they are, really, by the word I like to use, the word birthing. The birthing. I'm not the originator of that word. I find parts of that word throughout all of the New Testament, particularly Paul and John's writings. But Jesus first used it when he said, Whosoever believeth on the Lord Jesus Christ should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the first glimpse we have in the scriptures of the fact that the human being becomes an everlasting person, everlasting life. I was greatly stimulated some time ago by an old movie I happened to see. It's called Everlasting Tuck, story of a family that discovered up in Arkansas a fountain of water that if you drank of it, you would have everlasting life on this earth. But the problem with that was they never fit in with anybody else. Everybody else was dying. Everybody else was sick. And that family never fit in with them. To where at the end, it wasn't good to have everlasting life in the natural because there was no proper end to it. There was no way to function. And so it stimulated me to the fact that when we accepted Jesus as our Savior, there was a radical birthing that took place. We were born again. Now the text we're looking at says something acute. It says that the Scriptures, the Word of God is a sword that separates soul and spirit. So right off you see that it is never God's intention in salvation that the total man be dealt with at that juncture. This is something you have discovered in your Christian life. That there's a great difference between the things that happen to you and the fact that you're God's child. Because your thinking in the natural is that as God's child, everything that happens to me will be good. Everything will work out. And of course, in the end, it does. In the end, it kind of all works out because you have come to a reasonable 
understanding of what life and death is. But the facts are, when you were rebirthed, God had done something unbelievable for you. He had, he had joined Christ to your spirit and made you in oneness with Him. It is the birthing I want to talk to you about this morning. What really happened at that time when you were born again? What really took place on God's part? He birthed the child. He took somebody that was hell-bound and He claimed them for His own but not as a legal type claim. He claimed them as a personal claim that this is somebody I have birthed myself. I am the father, the daddy of this person. He took over a responsibility that goes beyond comprehension. The reason why a lot of Christians have a struggle is because of their earthly ties, your family, your parents, your father, let's say. You feel a strong kinship there that you're one of them. But what God wanted was you to feel that with Him. What He has ever wanted out of a Christian is for a Christian to love Him. What He wants to do is to take you who make decisions, like you decided to marry somebody, you decided that... Uh, this person I marry will be the father of my child, and so forth. Those acute decisions you made, he really wanted you to make them in behalf of him. That's what Christianity is. Christianity is a relationship with God where God wants to be that partner, that, that person that is first and foremost in your choices, in your decisions and in your knowledge. So Paul said, the only way we're ever going to come to this relationship with God as Father is for there to be a separation between soul and spirit. What God did by that was to fix us so that when we were born again, rebirthed with Christ in us, there would be nothing that would be equal to that or as important as that is. Nothing in life would be so important. And so he said, I want you to get the two separated. Over here in our soulish part, we deal with, with who we think we are. Over here, you must deal with who you are. That's the big difference. God never intended that your soulish part be completely saved. But He did intend that your soulish part would be in a process of being saved. Paul says in one place, we are delivered. That's spirit salvation. Then he says 
in the next line, we are being delivered. Where are you being delivered? In your soul. It is a continuing relationship with God that you soulishly bring that part of your life under subjection to this new birth. That's what a Christian must do in his walk on this earth. As long as God leaves you here, you have a single obligation. Not of law. Not a legal obligation. You have a single obligation of love to bring all that you think you are under subjection to the Christ that is your life. I pondered many times for many years, why didn't God save our soul? Now I've touched something that bewilders a lot of people. In the Old Testament, where there was no spirit salvation, no one in the Old Testament had Christ in them. They didn't even know what it was. Where they had no spirit salvation, the only salvation they had was soul salvation. You see how deeply that is embedded in us because we talk about souls being saved today. They are not. We talk about soul winners. They are not. Because our soul is not what is saved. It is not what is redeemed. It is our spirit. The Old Testament, however, has several hundred uses of the word soul. And that's where we get the idea that souls are saved. It is not so in the New Testament. I think there's less uh, somewhere between 15 and 20 uses i can't remember the number in the whole of the new testament dealing with souls the reason why is there was an abrupt change in god's plan for the tripartite human being and the abrupt change came because god had made the decision that he would take out the sin nature and put a new nature in so when you were saved, there were three things that happened to you. You received a new you received a new nature, you received a new spirit, Christ's spirit was joined to your spirit, and you had a new life, everlasting life. Three things happened in your spirit. I like to call it spirit salvation. Because we have ample scripture to back up these three things that happens to anybody when they get saved. This is what the birthing is all about. When you were saved, you became a partaker of God's nature. Well, that's reasonable, isn't it? Anytime a father places a seed in Another human, as a husband will to a wife, he places his seed and it combines with her egg and produces another person. Anytime this takes place, always the nature of the father becomes predominant. The biggest problem we have in the world today is that fathers are not responsible as fathers. I don't know how it is in Africa, but in America... It's unbelievable. 
There's very little father relationship. But when you were born again, you took on the father's nature. How was that? He put a seed in you. These three virtues of God here are what we call the seed. In the seed that was placed in you is the very nature of God. Peter elaborated upon it. We are partakers of God's nature. That's kind of hard for you to understand because you may have a problem of separating God's nature from human nature. But you have to get this fixed in your mind. If you're going on with God, there are things you need to get fixed in your mind, and that's what we're talking about in this conference. You need to get fixed in your mind that there is no human nature. never has been a human nature. There's been a human will. There is a human mind, but there is no human nature. Somebody come to me the other day and said, well, what happened to the sin nature? Went out at the cross. Had to. If the blood of Jesus Christ didn't cleanse us from all sin, didn't work. But it did. It did did work and religion today still says that we've got a sin nature oh we don't have a sin nature they say well why do Christians still do bad things because they got an unchanged mind their soulish part has not responded to their spiritual part but I, I must say at that juncture that it hasn't responded because you haven't had the gospel preached to you if the true gospel is not preached, human beings are not going to know how to be Christians. They're not going to know how to live, how to function. All of that is a part of your growing up in Christ, your learning process. What happened when you were saved? Christ was joined to your spirit, you received a God nature, and you had eternal life. All in the seed. That's in you right now. That seed is in you right now. But it's submerged in most believers. Submerged. Has no place to operate. Has no room for growth. I like to talk about the little acorn seed as I have many times. I've got several oak trees on the property where I live. And uh, this last uh, week before I came here, I noticed that the ground was full of squirrels because the ground was full of acorns. Acorns. You say acorns? We say acorns. We're in a hurry. We have to say it quickly. Acorns. <laughs> but in that little seed is a huge oak tree. Think of it. In that little seed is a tree with thousands of leaves, hundreds of limbs, a big trunk maybe four foot around, all in that little seed, in that one seed. Peter would say being born again, not by corruptible seeds. That means not by anything soulishly that happens to you. Not by the corruptible, but by the incorruptible seed. Word of God, the person of Christ. That's where our new birth is. So when you were saved, that's what happened to you. God 
placed his seed in you. Now, in John 12 and 24, Jesus gives us the deepest insight into God I think there is in the Bible. He says, Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. This is a God thing. You want to know who God is? That's what He is. He's, he is one who allows the ultimate price to be paid to be who He is or to, be, or to get what He wants. Jesus said on that day, Palm Sunday, in the streets of Jerusalem, that until I die, I bring forth no fruit. Now that's the deep insight into God. Have you ever wondered why Jesus paid such an awful price on his way to the cross and on the cross? Why did he do that? Why couldn't they just take him out and kill him? They beheaded Paul. That was an instant thing. A little misery, I'm sure, beforehand. But when the head fell off, it was over. But when Jesus bore our sins, it was a different matter. God allowed him to be unmercifully beaten. Isaiah prophesied that there'd be no beauty about him that any man would desire him, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Why? Why was he beaten and hurt in such a way? Because you and I were in him. We were in the cup. He drank the cup of a human sin, shame, licentiousness. When he drank the cup, we went into his body. That's the first in Christ position. Later on, Paul would say, when he received the revelations from Christ, he would say, I am crucified with Christ knowing this that our old man is crucified I was crucified with him buried with him it's an in Christ position the whole of the gospel is based on the in Christ position there's no other basis for it for that was God's original plan Ephesians 1 and 4 it was his original plan how sad it is that we can sit in religion for many, many years and never know what the Scriptures are based on. The Scriptures are based on us being in Christ. In our sin, we're in Christ. In our righteousness, we're in Christ. There is no other plan for the human being aside from the in Christ position. Part number five of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. That is from a live conference in South Africa that Warren Litzman held years ago. And boy, how powerful was that? It's as powerful now as it was then. So happy we could share these with you. Hey, don't forget to go to our website. It's Christ-Life.org. That's where you can read about us and also go into that bookstore and look at the materials that Warren left us in the forms of books, 
videos, tapes. What an amazing collection of things that you can have for your own home. Again, that's Christ-Life.org. We want to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these wonderful teachings from Warren Litzman. Our thanks to Valerie Hill, who does the Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast notes. And Teresa Ferraro is our producer from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.